This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to our show, Discussions at the Roundtable. Today, our guest is Pete Fowler, a construction consultant, professional cost estimator, and president of Pete Fowler Construction Services Incorporated, a licensed general building contractor in California, Oregon, and Nevada. Pete received a bachelor's science degree in construction management from California State University, Chico. Thank you, Pete, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's go back to your time at CSU Chico and share with us why you decided on construction management. So it's it's a harder question than you might think. I was uh, I started digging ditches when I was six, sixteen years old, and um, decided I would play in a rock band. And by the time I got twenty one, my mother summoned me to her home. She said, "Son, I, I, it's time for you to go to college." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time. And I said to her, "You know, I'm having a lot of fun in this rock band." And I'll go to college. I promise I'll go to college. I promise. But it's pretty fun right now. I can't pretend to be a rock star when I'm 30, but I can go to college when I'm 30. There's no indignity. Right. She says, I, I'm sorry. I didn't communicate what I intended well enough. What I meant was, you're going to go to college now or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Sounds like your mom put you on the right track. Yes. But, but let's talk about the rock band for just a quick second. I mean, were you a guitarist, a lead singer? What, what did you do in the rock band? I, so I, in that rock band, I was a bass player, a very mediocre bass player. But I had good long hair, and I'm a decent <laughs> dancer for a white guy. So I was very entertaining. I knew, I always knew this was not my destiny. I was going to grow up and be a yuppie. I was well, like, this is my only chance. Got it. I got to see this chance. I'm a guitar player and singer later. Okay. Okay. Well, what were the influences? Like what type of music did you guys play? It it didn't. It didn't didn't matter. matter. (laughs) There was no, I mean, of course, my favorites are the Rolling Stones and, you know, I I, I didn't even like the Beatles until I was in my thirties. I mean, this is, I have bad taste. I just had, I'm just assertive and wanted to, you know, I saw a rock band play in a garage when I was about 15 and I was like, I got to do that. So same thing with all my business stuff. I'm like, Oh, I want to do that. So I just try it and I'm bad at it for a long time. And, and then I, you know, finally get good. And then you get it. And then it's done. Well, that's exciting. Now, when you were in construction management at college, did you have any internships or did they provide any hands-on learning? Oh, yeah. So I was literally, I was digging ditches, living in San Diego uh, from the time I was 16. And so that company was a big uh, engineering news record, top 100 general contractor or something. So they put me to work in the office during construction as an estimating intern, super valuable time. You know, but I knew how they operated. They were very hardworking, very smart people. I, you know, I'm an observant guy. So it's like, what's it take to have a great life? I, hence the rock band as a kid. <laughs> I got that all out of my system. I knew I was going to have a life of toil. Kind of shifting for just a second. 
what is, is like, how did you decide on expert witness consulting? Like when did that fall into your lap? It early. So I didn't get out. I didn't finish college until I was, uh, 26. I'd sang in the rock band. So I have, uh, I have, um, lower performance anxiety than average than, than most guys who come out of engineering school. Right. And one of my very few native virtues is I'm a good writer. Okay. So I was not natively a good guitar player. That took a lot of work. Yes. But I could play the, I could, but I could write. And so when you combine low performance anxiety, good writer, degree in construction management, poof. There it is. You're a consultant. So I was, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to do it, but that's what happened. So I stumbled into it early and I ran some construction. I got my contractor's license, but of course, you know, being a contractor, you have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and drive all over the place. And I started having kids early and I started looking at these construction consultants and thinking I could keep bankers hours as a consultant. And so that's, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) It was was promising. Yeah. Well, and, and the fact that we do, you know, about 20% traditional construction management, building inspection work still to this day is dramatically higher than any of the um, people that I compete with that I know of. Okay. They, they do a lot of um, expert consulting work that really understand, you know, we got to, to be an expert consultant, you got to know all kinds of things about the law and being an expert, plus have the underlying foundation of your expertise. Right. So it's, yeah. it's worked out. I just dumb lucked into, <laughs> okay. into, into a situation that I was kind of born for. Right. Sure. Well, and you mentioned too, um, it's really important to have that finesse when it comes to almost being on stage and writing. I mean, when you're doing a testimony, you really need to present yourself well. So uh, was there any, any preparation that you received from your attorney clients that helped you prepare better, maybe for testimony or deposition? Oh, it's so great. I, I only learn things the hard way. So I got that all out of my system early, working 80 hour weeks. But I, I remember like it was yesterday, my uh, my boss at the time I was I was supporting his being an expert and I had sent to the client a two page memo saying in order for us to do our work you need to send us all these documents and this is in the nineties there were it's not it wasn't just a Dropbox sure here have some stuff it would have been it would have been ten thousand dollars to send us all these documents for a relatively small case. So the client who I I still know him, he happened to have been like a superstar young lawyer. He wasn't much older than me at the time. I wasn't, I don't know, wasn't even 30. He called my boss and he said, who's Pete Fowler? He's like, oh, he's a bright young kid came to work with me. He's killing it. And he said, fire him now. (laughs) He's like, if I... If this case goes to trial and my client loses and I haven't sent you every one of those documents, I'm going to get sued for malpractice. 
I was like, oh, that's a good piece of information there. Yeah. So now when, when my clients say, don't put anything in writing, we understand and we train all of our staff. What they mean is don't put anything stupid in writing. So. Oh, absolutely. And it's sometimes you just have to learn that early on, right? You I mean, you can't know everything unless you are trial by fire almost. Yes. Yes. Luckily that, you know, most of my, you know, getting kicked in the rump education didn't end up causing anyone else harm. What else do you do when you're preparing for expert writing? You indicated that you're a really good writer, but if you walk me through just a little bit of, of how you kind of mentally break it down, or is there any good tips or tricks that you have when it comes to organizing your reports? I, I saw this special where Glenn Fry from the Eagles was talking about how he learned to be a great songwriter by listening. He lived in the apartment below Jackson Brown and to shorten the story, he basically said, I just realized it was just elbow grease, right? So another one of the very small, like one handful of native virtues I have is a strong work ethic. I watched my mother who owned a barber shop, just, she put me through college, single woman. Um, she just, you know, she wanted to have a certain life and she worked really hard to have it. So I've got a compulsion to, you know, not get kicked in the rump. And so when, when, you know, when a construction guy is having to go up against a lawyer, you know, that's like showing up to a gunfight with a knife. <laughs> so I got to be, oh, and when I, you know, I started testifying at like 30 years old, I'd only, I was only like four years out of college. I'd already been in the business half my life, but so I just had to be the most prepared. We also have internal training. I wrote my first how to write training and we still use it today. I was looking at it in a training program we're putting on in October that we have a copy of it from 2005. You know, we got to outline the work and you know, we just do it in multiple passes, multiple passes all the time. And is it we keep we literally keep a picture of my mother who didn't graduate high school. She, she quit high school at 16, had me at 19, you know, started a business in, in her early twenties, single mom, but got her GED. I have a picture of her getting her with her cap and gown on when she was 48 years old. Oh. And, uh, and, but we put this picture in a bunch of presentations. Now we used to just leave it on the server and put it in files, but we say, explain this to Pete's mom. Because she's very smart, but she has no technical background. She's a barber. So explain it to Pete's mom. And if you, you know, because sometimes people, consultants tell me what they think. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And if I don't know, you know, I've had to be this where they're like, well, stop being stupid. I'm like, can we, can we both agree that I'm reasonably smart? So if I don't know what you're talking about, it's a you problem not a me problem so that just that 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 idea you know I wrote the first article um on the subject of construction defects in um the first one in in any national publication in the late 90s and I in in my 
you know, I was a young guy and I'm using 25 cent words and, and the editor yelled at me because it's a construction magazine. He yells at me, he says, Pete, stop using 25 cent words. We're going to dumb this down to the fifth grade reading level. And I thought, oh my God, construction guys are so stupid. So it comes out and, and, and all my lawyer and engineer and architect friends read it. And they call me, they're like, Pete, what a great article. Such a smooth, easy read. I was like, what the hell? Even people who can read at the graduate school level don't want to. Right. Just make it. it That was another sort of cornerstone in my education in, you know, being a good expert. I need to work hard to communicate to non-technical people. Absolutely. Because, I mean, that's going to be the jurors, right? You're going to have to really make for sure that they understand the problem when they don't know anything about the business or construction or whatever it may or may not be. Last year, we sent invoices on almost 400 unique projects. We call them projects, right? Insurance people who are paying the bills call them claims and lawyers call them cases. We call them projects. So, we, we, we do a lot of, we work on a lot of projects and that we only testified in maybe, I don't know, five or 10 to juries, five or 10 times. It's very rare. So we, of course, have to think down the road that we're going to communicate with a jury, but really it's just as important for us to communicate in a, in plain language that's totally understandable by my mother, by the lawyer and by the insurance people. And that's really, you know, how to be successful at it too. And then, so are a lot of your clients, are they the repeat attorney clients that come back to you? Because at that point, they've already worked with you. They understand how you work and what the expectations are. Um, Do you find that it's it's almost difficult to work with new attorneys or is there a certain way that you have that makes it easy to really get that position as an expert witness or the consultant with them? Like, is there a a trick that you have up your sleeve or is it just that be be direct and to the point yeah there's certainly for us there's no trick um and so we literally have our very first clients um and we still have our very first employee who just celebrated her 20-year anniversary with us so we're long-term relationship people but we've also it's been our intention to grow this from a one-person practice that, you know, I could have just sat in my home office and stayed busy for 20 years, but I, I don't I'm that kind of attention span. So we've been growing this business. We've been trying to grow this business from early on. And we finally got really successful about it around 2015. We've been um, able to really attract very smart people. So, you know, we have systems and process, processes around, you know, I have my stepdaughter makes fun of me. I, I make fun of her about things. She's like, really? I'm a nerd. <laughs> she was watching anime or something. She's sure. like, really? How many books about the Toyota production system do you have on your desk? She's like, don't, don't mess with me, brother. <laughs> so, so we, we are super system and process oriented okay. in, 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 you know, which is, unusual for a professional practice like this, right? Right. Well, I mean, now that you, you know, you did 400 projects last year, 
uh, you're kind of seeing a trend, obviously, with COVID. You know, things are are happening different where, you know, testimonies are done by video call or or depositions. Um, Maybe not as much of a change. But where do you see maybe some of the litigation changing in your realm of business? No, it for us... I didn't mention that I also have a minor in computer information systems from the 1990s. I know just enough to irritate the IT guy who helped me get my microphone set up, but it uh, has kept us on the leading edge of technology. So when COVID came, literally people just came to the office, they picked up their computers, they walked them home. It was nothing. We Everything's in the cloud. Literally, I have 1.7 months. 1.7 million photographs in the cloud in a database, that a searchable database. We have five or six million PDF files that contain, that certainly contain 20 million or something pages of stuff. Um, so that part of it is wonderful for us. We, you know, I've got offices, I've got two offices in Southern California. We do business in Oregon. I have a, a, a grow very fast growing office in Nevada. We're in escrow buying a building in Florida because we've been doing business there for the last four years. Um, and Texas is starting. It's already started, but we'll have a physical office there certainly next year. Um, but not having, even if just do us California, just driving, driving to LA takes longer than getting to Vegas. Right right? It's terrible. The traffic is terrible. So for us to be able to do our work the way we're talking right now, and then we can share our screen. Oh, it's so great. It's a game. It's so great for us and great for our clients because it's cheaper. Right. Right. Versus having go to the office that is open right now. Uh, Well, do you see, like, I mean, you, you mentioned across multiple States, do you see the same litigation trend in California that you might be seeing in Florida or is there well, little differences? There, there are differences. It took a while. I think the, I think the model, the construction defect litigation that specifically, because our litigated work, it's still, it used to be 90 something percent construction defect litigation. And we just bumbled into people calling us, Hey, somebody fell down the stairs. Can you, figure out if there's a building code violation or something. Well, yeah, sure. So we we still do about half construction defect lit- litigation and um, the rest are property and injury claims. So lots of that, but I'm, I don't think there's, uh, other than societally, there's more litigation than ever before and people are more comfortable with, um, with being involved in a litigation, but the construction defect litigation model was, I think, invented in Southern California. It grew up here and the wind has blown North and East. Sure. So I've seen some numbers. I'm actually doing a presentation in Florida next month about this, but you know, Florida went from having 30 construction defect litigation cases in whatever, 2010 to 3000 or something fascinating, you know, it's really, the numbers are big and just even reading the New York times and the wall street journal, you can read about all the super tall buildings in New York city that are in hundred million dollar litigations. Is there a particular case um, that you 
was like really stood out in your mind that you can talk about or share? I got a single family home. We just wrote a magazine article and did a presentation for uh, for a big um, trade group um, about uh, multi-million dollar single family homes. And we called the presentation, uh, I built a monument to myself and you ruined it. <laughs> so super rich owner, not quite ready for prime time general contractor come together and spend millions of dollars and make a mess. So I've got, I've got more of these than, than, um, than, and, it, and I've been working on them. Literally my first job was one, but then they got very popular since, since then, since 20 years ago. And so, and some of them go on for years and years and years because the contractor either can't or won't fix what's wrong. The owners can continue to pay to pursue the litigation because they got more money than they know what to do with and they're spitting mad. Sure. So like, I've got one that's, I think it's seven years old. Wow. It's, like, it's terrible. But you know, right. I mean, it consumes, that's a big chunk of someone's life. Yes. Over a construction project. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that piece yeah. of it. Well, let's end with something um, a little bit more, maybe close to your hometown. Is there anything that you look forward to that's a city event or an annual thing that you just, you just do every single year or something you just maybe recently discovered? So I split time now between Carlsbad, California, which is where I went to high school, and Las Vegas. I used to split time between Orange, Calif Orange County, California, and um, Portland, Oregon. So my, the number of things between, you know, because now that I'm in Vegas, oh my, I'm going to go see Sting next Ooh. week. So the, you know, there's, there's more cool stuff than, than I could rattle off. But you know, like today, tonight, I'll go to the Taste of Carlsbad. It's lovely. Excellent. Well, I enjoy that. And you know what? I'm really, I love the story of your mom and that she's your inspiration. And she really yeah. pushed you, you know, to to drive that that focus and the determination. I think it's wonderful that you always kind of include that even in your trainings and whatnot. So thank you for sharing everything with me today. My staff are very sick of hearing about my mother. It's like, a great We hate that story. woman. She's like the guest speaker at every big function, right? Exactly. <laughs> They're like, ah, stop talking about your mom. It's weird. <laughs> oh, well, I really appreciate your time, Pete. Thank you so much. Michelle, great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 